0: Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou.
1: And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 5, Episode 3, free to be you and me. Let's get this show on the road. I'm like nervous for the recap of this week because it's basically two episodes.
0: Two very, very important plot lines. Like, I don't think they give more importance to Sam or to Deans. It's like something that they haven't really done before, even in Scarecrow. This will be a fun one, I think, to do.
1: Before we recap, can I remind everyone that we have pins. We have adorable, adorable, magical, super amazing pins that you can get on carryingwayward.com.
0: We have pins. Oh my goodness, honestly, this has been like so wonderful. Like, I'm just so happy.
1: (laughs) It was one of those things where like, I've made pins before and they come and you see them and you're like, oh my God, they're as good as I expected them to be. This is the first one where it's like, this is even better. I gave you something really cool. Can you give me something really cool back? And they're like, nah, we're going to one up you. And I was like, damn it, they didn't, love it.
0: (laughs) Honestly, so go check out carryingvaver.com to check out our pins. All right, center your energy. I'm going to count you down. Three, two,
1: one, go. The brothers are split up. Sam's living a double life as this guy, Keith, who works in a bar with a woman who is trying to learn more about his past. And we'll get back to that in a second, because we also got to go to Dean, who's continued his hunting life. We see him go after a vamp, because clearly we're talking about metaphors this week. Sam starts seeing signs of demon activity, but doesn't want to go after it, so he tells Bobby, and Bobby's really sad, because he wants to send Sam, because Sam's the best hunter he knows, but Sam won't go, but Bobby sends somebody else. And then Dean... ...reunites with Cass, ...wants his amulet back... ...and Cass is all like... ...speaking about his emotions... ...and his connection to Dean... ...and thinks that he has a plan... ...to find God... ...but it's gonna kill him... ...so they go... ...get... ...Cast... ...a hooker? ...a sex worker? Uh, I, ...I... ...it isn't really clear... ...what's gonna happen there... ...but I think sex was the ultimate goal... ...anyways it ends in hilarity... ...and Dean is having a good time and loving life and positive and happy and it breaks my heart a little bit seeing that in him although it makes sense that Cass brings it out to him and we have to come back to Sam and Sam's in the bar and the people who were sent after the demons like Bobby are back to see Sam because they heard rumors from demons and of course they decide this time they're going to believe demons because why the hell not and they try to get them to drink demon blood and it doesn't work and this recap going on for way too long so I'm going to stop now by just saying Sam is back at square one but kind of hurt Cass and Dean are like more connected than ever Did I miss anything? I feel like it was going on for way too long.
0: I think that you missed a few things, but that's fine. We'll go over them in the long game. Listen, this episode is impossible to recap, so uh, it's fine. You did
1: wonderful. She says after I try. Thanks. Long game. (laughs) So Lucifer, did you talk about Lucifer in your recap? no, I totally forgot. Lucifer has been visiting Sam.
0: So Lucifer has found his way to Sam. So we're at the point now where we've learned that Dean is Michael's vessel a couple of weeks ago. And now we're learning that Sam is Lucifer's vessel. That's a really interesting coincidence, don't you think?
1: I mean, this goes one of two ways. is either goes the incredibly cliche writing angle, or there's a deeper secret to all of this that will eventually make sense. And will make it a little bit more plausible than just magically. This is how things work out because story.
0: I will not be answering this.
1: I assume in the next several seasons, we're going to learn more about their history, maybe specifically Mary's history that might lie twisted all this.
0: We'll see. So again, Lucifer appears to Sam as his dead girlfriend. And I'm just going to rephrase that. Lucifer appears to Sam as his dead romantic partner.
1: I feel like you're setting up for Lucifer appearing to Dean as Cass.
0: You wouldn't know if I said yes or no.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's fitting the trend and it seems to be the thing you're hinting at. But as I've learned, that means nothing in this game.
0: So the reason why I'm making such an emphasis about this is that we will really only see this again very, very late in the game.
1: Okay, I will try to recall that.
0: You know, as much as I hate that it is Lucifer and not actually Jess, I just think that like I I really liked the Sam and Jess interactions like because I feel like we never really got to see or to understand how important she really was to him like obviously the show told us that she was but we never really got to see it for ourselves so like hearing Sam say that he misses her I found was really touching and helped like flesh out that relationship really nicely
1: yeah it's nice to see Sam get to talk to somebody I feel like as much as we've given crap to Sam for trying to force Dean to have conversation, this is Sam who's ready to spill his guts and speak his mind and like let his heart flow. Though he thinks it's just Dream Jess, he's able to do that and like open up a little bit. And it's it's nice to see that. As much as like it doesn't feel like we needed it the same way we needed Dean to do it, it's still nice to see Sam doing it.
0: Well, I mean, Sam's been through a lot. In the past few episodes so it's kind of nice to see him like just be able to 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 like exhale for a second so outside of the sam storyline like this episode is just really gay like really really gay (laughs) and dean is dropping hairpins to cast Like through pop culture references, but cast doesn't get them. Now, by the way, for those who may not know, dropping hairpins is basically coded language for dropping hints that you're gay to see if the person in front of you gets it or not. It's like saying things or doing things that only another queer person or a queer friendly person would get. We get the personal space line, which is pretty well known in fandom. Uh, but if you think about it, it means that they've had this conversation off screen. And it really makes me wonder about how that went.
1: It's also something I've noticed, too. I feel like Cass was always very close to Dean when they spoke. It really felt like someone who doesn't get personal space. And the fact that Dean does bring it up now, and again, the way he does, and the fact that it's happened before, it's been discussed before, but that it continues to happen is kind of just like...
0: He's just so cute. He just wants to be close to him. <laughs> he likes him.
1: Cas's not subtle.
0: <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so the Thelma and Louise reference, I always thought was a really interesting choice considering how many people actually read that relationship as queer. And I think that that's Dean's first hairpin. And you can tell that when Cas doesn't get it, Dean is like, I don't know if it's maybe disappointed or upset, like I, I'm not sure how to read it, but there's definitely like his face kind of falls a little bit. Then Cass showing his FBI badge upside down and Dean flipping it. Iconic.
1: Oh my god, it was so cute. It was just the most adorable moment and I just awed so hard.
0: I know. And honestly, like what I really love about it is that I just want to take a moment to deconstruct this in terms of masculinity. Because I would say that Dean is teaching Cass like, how to lie about who he is and how to be like this, quote-unquote, this hunter, which is like a metaphor for being a quote-unquote manly man, manly heterosexual man in front of others, like to put on that mask that Dean puts on. And he's basically like teaching him how to be a little bit more like him. And this is Dean's mechanism for self-confidence, right? Massive overcompensation.
1: The two things that stuck out to me the hardest right here were the fact that like the two things Dean is teaching Cass are humans lie to get what they want And let me show you how to pretend to be manly. You understand what you've done here, Dean. You understand that you have just showed your hand. And the hand happens to be covered in jewels and pink nail polish.
0: I would also like for us to notice that archangels leave their vessels in pretty bad shape. And we need to hold on to this bit because it's the basis for a fan theory that I'm going to introduce a little bit later.
1: I'm excited. I like fan theories.
0: I have a question for you. Ask away. When was the last time that we had a last night on Earth moment?
1: Last apocalypse was the end of season three?
0: If I recall, the last time that we had a last night on Earth moment was when Dean and Anna had sex in the back of the Impala.
1: Oh, okay.
0: This was Anna saying this to Dean. And this time, who, what happens?
1: Dean tries to get cast laid.
0: Second hairpin for Dean. And also, like, that moment, Cass's face when Dean says women is just, like, that is gay panic if I've ever seen one.
1: All I could see when they were sitting in that club together was Cass being like, I'm, I'm on bar with this plan, but not with one of them.
0: <laughs> and in the midst of all this, like, even before they get to the club, like, Dean goes, there are two things that I know for certain. One, Bert and Ernie are gay. <laughs> <laughs> yup. Two, you are not going to die a virgin, not on my watch. And like, sir, what kind of dots are you connecting here?
1: Like, I imagine Cass's excitement went like, oh, we're going to get you laid by a woman who we're paying. Oh.
0: <laughs> right. And I would say that that is, you know, another hairpin moment. And I, I, this is a bit of a deviation, but I sort of want to talk about it. I, I really love that Dean heard somebody screaming and went in immediately to see what was happening. Like he makes it there even before any security or the manager or before anybody else. And I just I really appreciate that from him because we've talked about him having like potentially engaged in sex work. So it would make sense that he would feel protective of the workers at the club. And then and even like when he 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 talks to Cass, he doesn't ask what happened. He asks, what the hell did you do? Again, Dean, thanks for believing her.
1: For some of the shittier things you said about women in the past, when it comes down to the nitty gritty and not the acting side of you and you're being your true self, you respect women, you respect sex workers, and I love that.
0: Now, speaking of sex work, Dean tells Cass that the whole industry runs on absent fathers, and that also fits with Dean's experience.
1: I didn't even put that together! How did I miss that?
0: Ugh! Yeah, it also fits with hunting. I think. And then we also learned that God is dead and that maybe it's Lucifer who raised Cass.
1: Just saying, part of my prediction was Lucifer maybe the one who's doing all this work. And I, again, Lucifer's more complex than just, ooh, oogie boogie, I'm the bad guy.
0: There you go. Are we ready for story time? Yeah, I think so. So today our theme is volition. Do you know what that means?
1: I'm, I'm gonna have to buy a definition here.
0: You know, like, usually you say, like, of one's own volition, and basically it's, it's the faculty of using one's will.
1: Would it be safe to say it's the opposite of fate or destiny? That's correct. Okay, that makes sense.
0: And it comes from medieval Latin, where it means to wish, to will, to desire. And it's very closely related to will, as in free will. Volition and will are two very closely related words. Like, obviously, we know that this has been and still is a very important narrative theme for this show. So this is an important one, especially considering the title also free to be you and me. Mm. Ah, So many thoughts.
1: Well, do you want to start some of those thoughts about Sam with me?
0: He's at a bar and I think that he's trying to regain some sort of control over his life, because like as much as Ruby said that all the choices were his, I think it's still important to talk about. The fact that she manipulated him. And after the end of a relationship like that, with that kind of manipulation and betrayal, like it takes some time to feel yourself again, especially for Sam, who's also dealing with like addiction. And I think that he's just trying to figure out like what he really wants and what he likes and that kind of stuff. And he makes a series of decisions by himself that I think reflects like his true self or maybe his best self like much better than what we've seen him do over the last season
1: like yes as ruby said sam made those choices but a choice made in duress is not the same thing as making a choice and i feel like the thing we see with sam here that i think is so not apparent at first but i kind of love is as he is trying to find his way and rediscover himself he has to deal with two opposing forces weighing in on him. One being the outsider trying to pry their way in and figure out the mystery that is Sam and or Keith. And then the other side is when he eventually meets the other hunters and has to, you know, confront them and have to confront the past he's trying to leave, leave behind essentially and move on from while it's trying to literally drag him back, kicking and screaming. And again, this is a moment where we have forces like Ruby pushing him towards something. And while ultimately he is given the illusion of choice until he is not given the choice anymore, as we see with the uh, demon blood, he is able to continue to make the choices that he wants to make. He's able to find his willpower to fight through it and come out the way he wants to, despite these forces.
0: Yeah, I, I, Drew, honestly, I completely agree with what you're saying. And like, he manages to do this even. As Lucifer is actively trying to make him feel like he has no control, no will, no volition. I, I just think that this is a really significant moment for Sam. And I also think that Lindsay gives him hope because she's three years sober while working in a bar. And I think that that makes him realize that he can still be a hunter while working on his own sobriety. You know, like she, she basically gives him hope for change when Lucifer tells him that there's no changing him. I think that that shows in the decision not to kill Tim. Like, he's realizing that people can change. There is reason for hope, essentially.
1: Despite the force that is put upon him and his attempt to escape his past between Lindsay and Tim kind of pushing their own ways, they both represent very different ways of handling your past. As much as Tim's past is only maybe a few moments ago... His choice is to go anger and drag Sam and blame Sam and pull him down with him. Whereas we see Lindsay is able to look at her past as an alcoholic and get over it. Still live in a world and a life that she loves without being traumatized. I'm sure she has bad days. No one's perfect and it's got to be difficult. But three years sober and able to not only be around people who drink but actively serve them and be a part of that culture... I think it gives Sam hope to see what he once was, this I would do anything for revenge, even hurt somebody, to someone who can live their life their way despite the ghost of their past lingering over them.
0: On their terms, and I think that that's so important for Sam at the moment, like to kind of, you know how I said at one point that Sam was bad at boundaries? I feel like Sam is learning those boundaries for himself right now in this episode and we're gonna see that also as the season goes on like he learns what his boundaries on are sorry and by doing that he also gets better at respecting other people's i think
1: oh i'm excited for that growth
0: yeah oh man Sam!
1: i'm happy to have our tallest bean returned to his humble self
0: i know i know i'm very excited about that can we talk about dean though
1: we can let's get started
0: I think that Dean is, in this episode anyway, kind of balancing doing what he wants and not doing what he wishes he could do. Like, if we look at the things that he wants to do, like, obviously, Dean by himself goes to spend quality time with the queer-coded monsters, vamps, you know, as you mentioned in your recap. And that continues the whole, like, this episode is so gay thing.
1: On that subject, I just want an entire episode of just... Like, Dean trying to do things with Cass, And while that can be read very differently than I've been playing, I truly just love seeing Dean happy. And it seems just exploring the world with Cass is what will do that for him. You know, while Dean seems to refuse to admit that he wants a happily ever after, and like we've seen in the infamously bad episode, Bugs, when he's given the opportunity to live in a nice house with a great shower, there's that part of him that goes like, I know I can't want this, but I really wish I had it. I think we're seeing that with Cass now, is that while he won't admit to himself that's what he wants, having a partner like this, someone he can just have fun with, is so important to him.
0: Okay, well, that literally brings us to the things that he wishes he could do. Because I'd like to enter the following line of dialogue into evidence, Your Honor. When humans want something really, really bad, pause to fuss with Cass's tie and shirt collar. We lie. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this for Dean since season one, in Bugs specifically, actually, that sometimes we just can't trust what he says necessarily because he plays everything so close to the chest and he doesn't let himself be open with others or even with like the closest the people closest to him. For completely valid reasons, mind you, but that means that sometimes he's an unreliable narrator of his own wants and needs.
1: Precisely. We have this character who deep down, it's almost like a uh, like a layered issue where it's like a or those Russian nesting dolls, where it's like at the very core, there's the Dean that shines through oh so rarely, like in this moment when they escape the brothel. And he is just having a good time. He is seeing life as a happy human with someone he cares about and cares about him and having a good time and just being happy. And then that is wrapped beneath this, I want to say, like layer of trauma that John has put on him and the world has put on him. And then on top of that is the the on top of that on top of that is the real dean the open about his sexuality willing to be himself and then on top of that is the chauvinistic masculine i got to do things the man way because i'm a man we have this i, I hate to say onion layer of onions <laughs> i hate to make the shrek <laughs> i know i was like how do i not make the shrek joke here but fucking i'm just going to say it there is like this complex layer system where yes, we might break through one layer sometimes and see a real Dean and then break through even that layer and see the trauma that he's faced. But to get all the way to the core and see the Dean that even he has forgotten is there. But when it comes through, it is just so crisp and pure.
0: And I think that we saw a little bit of that. We had to dig a lot or appeal a lot to use your metaphor, but I I genuinely think that we see a little bit of that in this episode.
1: There is a part of Dean that even if he doesn't know it's there, we as an audience know it's there, that has wants and needs. And as much as he might not be actively taking the steps to find it, he may indirectly do it through doing the right thing, i.e. being with Cass.
0: Speaking of Cass. Please. Okay, so there's a lot in this episode that's completely out of Cass's control. Like, or at least it feels like that, but I sort of want to remind us that Cass is literally a soldier of God, and that if he wanted to, he could just, like, smite Dean. But he really goes along with what Dean is suggesting, which I I personally read as, like, wanting to bond with him, wanting to please him, wanting to, like, be perceived positively by him. Like, he... He wants Dean
1: to like him. Very clearly there is a theme to Cass's education this week. The realization that he no longer has the support system he once had, even as he now admits it was flawed, at least there was something there. Now he really only has Dean, but that's by choice. He chose to leave the rest for Dean.
0: Like he imprinted on him. He's like, Oh, you, (laughs) I choose you. (laughs) But yeah, apart from that, I think that like in this episode, we're seeing a lot of cast like learning from Dean and being changed by this relationship. And the biggest thing for me was when he was asking for Dean's help the same way that Dean asked for his help in the later half of season four so he's also learning from Dean how to present himself, how to like be a hunter, which in this show basically represents masculinity, like how to be a man. So Cass is literally learning from Dean what it means to be a man on Earth.
1: While we are seeing so much in Dean, I feel like Cass is seeing it too, even if Dean isn't directly teaching everything. Some of it is very deliberate teachings. Some of it, I think, comes through actions that aren't necessarily designed to teach Cass, but he learns from. And the biggest moment of this is when Cass and Dean are having their very own Impala talk in the car. Uh, And though it does end with a bit of the classic vanishing Cass moments, while they are speaking, Dean has this revelation about family because of Cass. And I think almost reflexively, or reflectionarily, Cass has that realization about himself and Dean at the same time. And they both sort of come to the same non-verbal conclusion of, like, yes, your family is who you were born with, but family is more who you choose to be with and how you connect with them. Very much a lesson and a thought we have preached time and time again in the show. But to have both of them basically have the realization, inadvertently, about the other one, this is the moment when, when Cass vanishes and really, like, has to go off and, like, do whatever Cass has to do. I just feel like... His his disappearance in that moment speaks volumes.
0: Does Dean address these things verbally, usually?
1: Normally, Dean is the one who can't spill his heart to somebody, yet this complete stranger who has appeared over the last several, what, maybe year, roughly, it's been, since they've known Cass, time-wise? Like, maybe a year, and who knows how many times they've actually hung out. Like, I'm sure 90% of the time they've seen each other has been, like, work-related. They've had, like, a 1%, like Conversational, I'm sure it's like it's amazing how they have bonded in such a short amount of time. That's just all I'm saying.
0: I agree. All right, let's go and hop into critical time.
1: So, who was behind this episode? Because these episodes, it was basically two episodes.
0: So, these episodes uh, into one episode was written by Jeremy Carver.
1: I love hearing that name.
0: and directed by J. Miller Tobin. Now, this is his last one on Supernatural. Aww! So he directed Born Under a Bad Sign in Season 2, A Very Supernatural Christmas on Season 3, and Heaven and Hell in Season 4.
1: Oh, Tobin's Spirit Guide, I'm going to miss you.
0: Aww. What story do you have for us in the Hunter's Journal?
1: I slid into the room through the narrowest crack in the door to minimize any sound or noise. My weapon drawn. My eyes adjusted to the dark. It had been a week of tracking and planning to get here. My target is so close. This thing has killed dozens already. And I've been nowhere near stopping it. Each time I was just, just too late. It started to feel like it was toying with me. Part of it was enjoying knowing how close I was each time it killed another. It probably stayed close to watch me discover the body, in fact. You know what? I think I could almost hear it leave after it had gotten a fill of my suffering and sorrow. This time, however, I had the drop on it. I knew where it was staying, and I'm convinced it had no idea I'd sleuthed it out. Here in the dark room I hid and waited. It was sure to return. It apparently needed to gather its own supplies tonight, meaning there would be no kill tonight. How wrong I was. The lights came on. It hurt my eyes much more than I expected it to. It walked in and dropped its bag on the bed, its back to me, and I lunged forth with my knife. But I was wrong. It must have figured it out. For the next thing I knew, I had a knife to my throat, and the last words it said to me to hell, you dirty vamp.
0: Oh my. Oh my goodness.
1: And what thoughts would you have to share with us this week?
0: I I guess I'm just really amazed that Dean and Cass's storyline is paralleled with Sam being courted by Lindsay. So like Dean is talking to Cass when they're driving and then we cut directly to Lindsay wanting to play darts with Sam and basically just like wanting to spend time with him because she likes him the same way that kind of Dean is like, Oh no, no, no. We're driving all the way to Maine. Like, and of course he says that it's because when Cass teleported him, he didn't poop for a week, but like, you know, at the end of the day, it means that they're going to be spending more time together. And Cass could just be like, okay, cool. I'll meet you there. But no, they're driving together. Like again, Cass humors him. And I think that that's really cool. So Dean finally gets his date with Cass. And at the same time, Lindsay finally gets her date with Sam
1: how did I not notice these parallels?
0: I just don't understand because the creators are are telling us that they didn't do this on purpose. But at the same time, like, how how do you not see it? How do you anyway? But I have a question for you. Because Dean told Cass that he wasn't going to die a virgin on his watch. So And he doesn't end up sleeping with with the sex worker. So, like, what do you think happened between the time that they left the club and the next morning when they went to the hospital?
1: There's no indication that Cass left.
0: So we're going to leave it at that. We're going to let our listeners answer that question for themselves.
1: Speaking of questions, shall we go to the voicemail and see what our listeners have to say this week? Yes, let's go. This week, we have a message from Simone. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Mary and I will be answering the question, why do you think Cass leaves the Impala so suddenly for our Roadhouse patrons and coffee supporters on our Impala Talk today?
2: Hi, Marie and Drew. This is Simone again, sending greetings and salutations from Toronto. I want to begin by saying thank you for such a positive response to my voicemail. I was super nervous that it would be a tad too much, Uh, so thank you for humoring me. Since my last voicemail was a bit on the heavy side, sorry, I wanted to potentially pose a fun question to the Caring Wayward community. Throughout Season 4, the meta narrative spends a lot of time trying to lean into the trauma and subsequent PTSD experienced by Dean after being resurrected from hell the conflict weaves itself in and out throughout the season again offering maximum man pain and this one's for you drew becoming a bottomless conflict vending machine for dispensing more brother drama i understand that there are quite a few buffy fans in the discord community so i was wondering your thoughts on how dean's resurrection in season four compares to buffy's in season six spoilers for buffy i guess At the end of season five, Buffy dies sacrificing herself to save her younger sister, Dawn. She is resurrected by the Scooby gang via dark magic at the beginning of season six. Buffy later on discloses that when she died, she was in heaven and finally at peace. However, the whole while the Scooby gang believes they saved her from being tormented in a hell dimension. Season six spends a lot of time trying, and in my opinion, failing to properly handle Buffy's trauma after being pulled out of heaven by her friends. We see our titular protagonist struggling to find her footing again as a slayer and with her friends and family. If we compare Buffy's post-resurrection arc to Dean's, I think there's something really crunchy to sink our teeth into as it were. Pardon for the vampire pun. It's perhaps important to note that the Buffy series finale aired in the spring of 2002 three years before the Supernatural pilot even aired in the fall of 2005. Buffy's impact on Supernatural and the wider landscape of televisual storytelling is something that indeed shouldn't be ignored. Buffy began as an episodic Monster of the Week approach to storytelling. It became increasingly more serialized as it progressed, prioritizing grand overarching narrative arcs. Each season has a primary villain who Buffy and the Scooby gang would face off against several times throughout the season. Even when we had a bottle episode, the Monster of the Week linked back to the core character conflicts and the broader themes of the season. Eric Kripke has acknowledged in interviews the influence of Joss Whedon's particular brand and style of televisual storytelling in his work. In 2017, he said, and quote, Overall, Buffy really taught me about effectively using metaphor in genre. For Buffy, it was high school as hell, literally, and Whedon did such a masterful job of grounding his horror and fantasy concepts in this notion." I used that same philosophy on my run on Supernatural with the mantra, family as hell, literally. We can observe how this approach to narrative structure, and using monsters as a metaphor, is coded into the DNA of Supernatural. Moreover, for some context, Buffy first aired on the WB, now the CW, in 1997, only two years after the network launched in 1995. It's run on the CW, submit to what we now know as the network's signature formula of, quote, smart teen soaps, end quote, on the map. Likewise, when Supernatural first aired on the CW, the network was concertedly trying to cash in on the Buffy and Angel the series audiences. Beyond simple binaries of male, female, heaven, hell, slayer, hunter, etc. Here we have two reluctant heroes thrust into a war against supernatural forces. They both work outside the law, protecting the world from the supernatural while exploring themes of destiny, free will, and ultimately having to contend with the consequences of those choices. This list of thematic parallels goes on, but most notably for this conversation is, the writers also use similar imagery depicting both Buffy and Dean waking up in their coffins and having to dig their way out of their own respective graves. Equally complex in their own right, Buffy and Dean are framed as battle-weary warriors brought back to life only to be thrown back into the fray. This plays into a time-honored trope frequently used in the fantasy genre. Resurrections by supernatural means, is used as an inciting incident designed to promote more internal character conflict and at times external narrative conflict and retrace the protagonist's arc. So we have Buffy who died and went to heaven, finally able to rest. Then we have Dean who died and went to hell and ended up picking up the blade and began torturing souls. If we compare and contrast these characters, what does it tell us as viewers about how these types of resurrection arcs and traumas portrayed on screen with masculine versus female coded characters? I think it's fair to argue that there's a striking difference between how this aspect of the hero's journey is gendered and coded on screen. In my opinion, it speaks to the huge gulf and divide between the modes of representation of male and female heroes in modern media. Anyway, thank you again. Looking forward to hearing your and the rest of the Caring Wayward community's thoughts. Cheers.
1: Uh, may I?
0: Yeah, of course. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> I just like the idea of, let's go with something lighter. Dean being brought back from the dead and going through hell, and Buffy's terrible torture being revived. It's very interesting because, despite how similar these two scenes are and how similar you would imagine they would feel, they feel incredibly different to me. And I think the obvious reason is one being dragged out of heaven, basically, they have received their eternal reward and are now being told, No, nah, you gotta keep fighting. Yeah, you know, you say it and you're right, like, it really feels like. Early season, it was very much the theme, and then she has the big reveal about, like, you saved me from heaven, and suddenly, like, all of her, like, grungy side disappears after that, but she is much more, like, you know, she even dresses more, like, dark and, like, much more on my own, a little more, as we've seen with the Winchesters, willing to sacrifice herself to save somebody because she's kind of ready with, you know, the end she's seen. What happens after she dies and she's okay with it? Whereas Dean, it's almost the reverse. He is saved from hell. He is given a second chance at life. Though he is thrown back into the fray and Sam kind of picks at him for it, he is much more reserved. He's much more, I want to get out of the spotlight. I don't want to be doing this anymore. I would like to find an out or an ultimate end. I want this to be over. I don't want to make stupid decisions. I want to be safe. I don't want to go back to hell. What that says for the gender role of the characters, I think is a much deeper conversation that I am not prepared to have in this without, enough, without some time to prepare and study. But there is definitely some deeper conversation to be had there, and I'm looking forward to having it.
0: Just as a side note, when it, you talked about Buffy's style, particularly in season six, if you notice throughout the entire Buffy series, Buffy tends to dress in order to mirror the person that she's closest, like emotionally closest to in that moment. And in season six, the person that she is emotionally closest to is Spike. So she tends to wear very dark colors, very like contrasting things, lots of leather, even though she was wearing leather before, now it's a lot of black leather uh, that she's wearing. Um, and then the moment that she's able to talk to Tara about it, Literally the next episode, she's dressed in, in clothes that kind of mirror Terra style.
1: I never noticed that. Like, some of the overall ones I'm thinking now make a lot of sense, but like the sudden shift like that, I'd have to go back and rewatch.
0: I love Buffy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do too. It's the reason why I wanted to get into Supernatural.
0: Just as a reminder, we tend to do these, you know, without any preparation, like we listen to them and then we react to them immediately. And I am an introvert in the sense that like, I usually need some time to think about things in order to come up with, with an answer that I like. And the whole point of doing this podcast was specifically to help me get better at this. This voicemail, Simon, was amazing again. I do wish that I could take some time. So probably like once, you know, this episode is out and we can talk about it on the Discord, I'll probably have added thoughts about it. So I'll, I'll probably be able to, to, to add to that. But for now, I think what's most striking to me between... And obviously like there's a lot of, of comparisons to be made between Dean and Buffy... But I am kind of drawn to I'm kind of drawn to this idea that for Buffy, you know, again to, to take the high school is hell, family is hell kind of, you know, idea. For Buffy, after heaven, life is hell. Because she doesn't understand why she's suddenly back on Earth when she was so peaceful, she was able to rest while while she was in heaven for dean life is also hell after hell because hell followed him into life and i i again i'm not too sure what conclusions to draw from this uh and and we've heard this a lot in season four where he's like talking about the smells and and the thoughts and the dreams and and the visions and all that so hell carried he basically took hell with him uh, with his PTSD, whereas for Buffy, the traumatizing moment was being back on Earth, and that was the trauma. I mean, there was a lot of trauma for Buffy as well way before that, but this was like in this particular instance the trauma. And I find it interesting that they're also both like trying to deal with this trauma with the help of a supernatural creature. in 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 Buffy's case, it's Spike, and in Dean's case, it's Cass because Dean can't really trust his brother because he doesn't quite know what's going on in season four. And likewise, like Buffy is also dealing with her own doubts, I suppose, of the Scooby gang because of them bringing her back, dragging her out of heaven. And so like this isolation, I think is probably the main parallel between the two uh, of how isolated they feel. And, you know, I've, I've heard people say that the monster of season six is not, you know, the, the three, whatever they call themselves, but it's actually depression. And I agree that they failed to properly address it at the end, but the depiction of it up until the point of resolution, I think, was actually really good in terms of uh, how isolating it is, how incredibly isolating it is. So thank you so much for giving us some time to think about this.
1: Yeah, thank you for another fantastic voicemail with some other fantastic lines about the bottomless pit of grief that I adore. Uh, I, I really, like, I think we will need to at some point do, like, a mini-sode comparing some more of the themes from Buffy to Supernatural because there's a lot to talk about there. And I think we both need the prep time more than anything else.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, 100%. Like, that episode will take, like, a while to prep. Uh, But, um, yeah, I I love me some Buffy, so it'll be a really interesting one. And also, like, just as a quick thing, like, this whole, like... It's interesting because I didn't know that Kripke had said family is hell because...
1: uh, (laughs) Yeah, knowing (laughs) that, it's suddenly, like oh, he's been agreeing with us this entire time.
0: (laughs) When I heard like high school is hell literally, Kripke said, and in my mind, I completed the sentence with America is hell. And like, and I'm so sorry to all my American friends, but like that is genuinely like, because of all of the Americana and everything and like the, the monsters that are so linked to class and everything, anyway, I just, that's where my mind went originally. And then I wanted to say that he was very uh, influenced by uh, Neil Gaiman's American Gods.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. The, the Neil Gaiman uh, reflection, reflections too will have to happen down the road. Speaking of Speaking reflections. Of reflections.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: we are just killing these segues oh, this yeah, week.
0: Oh yeah, we're so good.
1: Would you like to get us started?
0: For sure. So I'm going to come back to Dean's line about... When people really, really want something, they lie. Because it's really sticking with me. And I really recognize myself in that. Because, so like for some context, I'm in the process of submitting a scholarship application. And I sort of keep saying, oh, you know, it's no big deal. It's fine if I don't get it. And like, of course, it's fine if I don't get it. But it, but getting it would like really, really make a huge difference for me. So I guess that my call to action is to is to allow myself to hope and to allow myself to want and to kind of like let myself be disappointed if it doesn't happen. And to I guess to just be a little bit more truthful with myself.
1: And I mean that's very healthy. I think it's very important to be upset when you're upset and celebrate when you celebrate and to want things and admit when they will hurt or when you will be excited for them.
0: Uh, there you go. What about you, dear?
1: So I find myself in a position I have mentioned before on the show. I am recently in a new job. I have been there just under three months. Uh, And much like I think is almost a cliche we see in TV and movie when someone gets to go to a new school, they try to reinvent themselves. Uh, Much like Sam has done this week as Keith. I also I also okay, I have a theory behind the Keith thing.
0: Do you want to do you want to let us know?
1: I, I think it has to do with beer. He has gone from Sam as in Sam Adams beers to Keith Alexander Keith's. I don't know why this jumped out to me as like just him in a bar for some reason. The two beers just floated to the top of my head because I was thinking like, oh, last time they had different names. It was a different type of gun. And then I was like, what is another thing that they have in their life? Beer. And what are two beers?
0: (laughs) I was literally going to say that they did that with the guns. So I there is no reason why this theory isn't solid.
1: Well, I am sticking with my beer theory. Uh, But as I reflect on Sam, it occurs to me that there is a level of like... (sighs) I feel like reinventing yourself is always the problem. And like here we clearly see like it causes issues of he's now too mysterious or he has his past catching up with him and he has to make up more lies. And if we've ever seen any coming of age college story about a kid changing schools or a high schooler, immediately the reinventing yourself fails So my call to action is just, like, here is an opportunity to not reinvent myself, but a chance to be my true self. This is the first time I'm starting a job and, like, immediately found the, like, group chat for all the LGBTQ+, and, like, became a part of that community immediately, and, like, planned a drag night, and, like, talk about, like, our coming out stories. Like, no longer am I on, like, the periphery of this and, like, meeting people and, like, yeah, I'm an ally and, like... Let me see what I can do to help. Like, no, right away, I was like, I know who I am. The reinvention here is being my most honest self. So it's a call to action to just keep doing this and keep being me and being proud of me.
0: I love this. <laughs> I really do. I think it's really great. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I'm going to have mascara all down my face now. <laughs> no.
1: Too bad we're filming right after this.
0: Uh, yeah, I know. That's why I'm wiping my eyes. <laughs>
1: You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Marie Vigouroux, and myself, Drew Shulman. Thank you to our Bunker patrons, Katira, Michelle, and Elle, for their generous support.
0: This week, we'd like to thank Simone for her message. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at Carrying Wayward, and leave us a rating and a review on your podcast service of choice.
1: And don't forget to join our coffee or Patreon for perks and extra content. You can use the link in all of our social media bios, or go directly to carryingwayward.com.
0: Carry on, our Wayward friends. (laughs) Mwap mwap. Oh my god.
1: Chaos Cat is chaos.